You are listening to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum radio show, all about real estate edition. Shining a light on the movers and shakers in the real estate industry. The home builders, developers, realtors, and suppliers making it all happen. Good morning and welcome back to the Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I'm your host, Carol Morgan, and I'd like to give a shout out to our show sponsor, Denim Marketing. Denim Marketing knows that marketing is not one size fits all, so try them on for a comfortable fit. Well, developers got super creative with land planning and amenities since the Great Recession. We are joined today by Katie Fiddler, Director of Research and Communications with St. Burke, and they know all about creativity and all about development. So welcome to the show, Katie. Thank you. I appreciate that. um, I'm excited to join you guys. Yeah, I think this could be a fun conversation. Well, we'll just kick it off. Uh, Tell us about yourself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm Katie Fiddler and I am the director of uh, research and communications at St. Burke. Um, I am a native of Atlanta. I've lived here all my life and this is actually my 10th year being involved in Atlanta real estate. So I've got a really uh, deep background here in this market specifically. Um, I graduated from UGA and um, I've held a, you know, a variety of positions in real estate, starting off with commercial and office leasing. And obviously now I've transitioned more into the uh, investment and development side. Well, if you are one of Atlanta's two or three natives, then we're glad to have you here. (laughs) So rare in the city that you meet anyone that was actually born here. So that's Mm kind of cool. Well, for our listeners who aren't familiar with St. Burke, let's give them a 30,000 foot view. Yeah, absolutely. So St. Burke is an asset management and development company. We are headquartered here in Atlanta. Um, Our basic position is that we are a one-stop shop for asset management and development needs. So we, our services cover the full gamut running from the very beginning of a project through, you know, due diligence and acquisition all the way through, you know, planning and development and to the very end, which is, you know, ongoing place management. So we really complete that, that full cycle. Uh, We are experts in value engineering, um, unlocking hidden value, problem solving, uh, troublesome sites, um, and repositioning abandoned or stalled residential projects that maybe I've forgotten about or gotten a little neglected over the years. And we like to come in and, you know, just reinvigorate them and, and breathe new life into them. Um, so St. Burke has been a business since uh, 2005, um, and we actually come from an investment firm, an international investment firm that came over here right after the Great Recession. Um, and the situation they found themselves in is they uh, they acquired this massive property portfolio, and they were having a really hard time coordinating different teams in each market to manage those assets. Um, so they brought that in-house, and they started building the team that eventually split off and became St. Burke. Um, so we have a very unique origins. We view all of our projects through an investment lens. Um, and that's kind of where we have found our, our niche in the market um, is, is kind of just our perspective on how we approach development and then the full cycle of services that we are offering to our clients. Now, that's really cool. I, you know, and I think you're right. A lot of the development companies out there don't necessarily look at the development and the land from the investor's viewpoint. So I think that's probably very, very helpful because ultimately that's probably who you're working for, right? Yeah, we do. uh, You know, a lot of we do have a lot of investment clients, um, home builders, banks, uh, private property owners. So we serve, you know, many different kind of segments of of the market, but certainly investment firms and home builders are our top two. 
Yeah. Well, as a developer, you definitely have a pulse on the trends and what's going on with land development. And I know it's changed. So what's different post-COVID? So I think I would be remiss to jump right to the things that have changed. And I just want to refocus in on, you know, this isn't a new trend, but cost and keeping costs down is more important now than than ever before. Um, you know, we St. Burke has always said about, you know, for planning and, va- and value engineering, you know, every site. Um, but with the way land prices have skyrocketed mm-hmm. over the last, you know, 18 to 24 months, you know, builder margins are tighter than ever. Um, so they're looking to definitely not cut corners, but find ways to thoughtfully and creatively get those prices down so that they can ultimately offer more affordable homes. Um, So that's kind of the one thing that's not a new trend. Cost is always important, but it's certainly under a a big, powerful microscope right now. Um, In terms of things that we have actually seen change um, since the kind of the onset of the pandemic and, you know, over the last two years, I'd say, is we're seeing a lot more construction and residential development activity farther from the urban core. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm talking 30, 40 miles from the midtown downtown area. Um, At the end of last year, 2021, um, eight of Atlanta's 10 top performing communities were actually located more than 40 miles from the urban core. Um, So we're seeing places like, you know, Fayette County, Bartow County, Barrow County, Paulding County, experiencing growth that I think, quite frankly, no one would have ever anticipated for them. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the work from home movement, right? We came into a period where all of a sudden you weren't commuting into the office every day, or maybe you weren't commuting in at all. So it was no longer as important for you to be within a 15 or 20 minute drive. Um, And that really opened up those, what we're, you know, what we call the exurb areas on the, on the fringes of, uh, of the city. So we're seeing a lot of activity there and not just from the single family side. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of multifamily activity happening in the suburbs and those exurbs as well. Um, and then I, I would say another big change that that we're starting to see um, kind of on the back of coming out of the pandemic is, you know, buyers are expecting a lot more out of their communities now than they were three years ago. I mean, we're coming off of a period where they were where people had to live, work and play all within the confines of their house or their, you know, their really small community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so buyers are really acutely aware right now of what they need. And coming out of this pandemic period is really highlighting the gaps in, in their current situation in their current communities mm-hmm. or homes. Um, and, and, you know, people now when they're shopping for a house or when they're shopping for a neighborhood or an area in general to live in, um, you know, they're looking for more interactive and creative creative amenities and uh, more emphasis on health and wellness. And, um, you know, they're requiring more, uh, more um, like top-notch telecom communications, right? Because we're Zoom meetings all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a lot of FaceTiming with relatives. Um, and, you know, we're educating our kids from homes on days where they have digital learning. So right. so there's a, a, a lot more emphasis on how can this community make my life better? Whereas I think the mentality used to be, you know, where can I where can I find a home that's available that I can afford? Right, right. Well, you know, and it's and it's not just the amenities and you know, it's it's all the things you've mentioned, but it's even little things like I want my Zoom room to have a door on it. 
Yeah. You know, all these big open floor plans that were so cool weren't so cool anymore once you were stuck at home with screaming kids and barking dogs and everything going on and needing to focus. So You're exactly right. And builders are dealing with their own kind of transition where, you know, not only do people have different expectations of their community and the way that it's designed, but they have different expectations of their homes, too. And to your point, you know, builders are having to adapt and they're having to change up their floor plans to, you know, create more flexible spaces. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't need an office every day of the week um, or maybe, you know, or maybe I I don't need two guest rooms. So it's very interesting how how builders are are, being, are are responding to the kind of the tweaks in demand as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned amenities and how amenities have changed a little bit. You know, what's the big what's the big change that you see? Yeah, so the biggest thing that jumps out to me is, you know, think back to the days, the late 90s, early mid 2000s, seems like every community that had more than 100 of 150 homes, they got a pool cabana amenity package and it was right. kind of a no-brainer. That's just that was very, very standard. And, and and that had was really not put into the context of who's going to be buying these houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so now the communities we design and develop, I would say have we take a, a much more thoughtful approach to what amenities we are including. And look, that's not to say that we don't do pools and cabanas anymore. You know, obviously, you know, we if a community and the and the people and the residents that are going to be moving into that community, if that's something that's high demand for them, then obviously we want to deliver that. But it's no longer a blanket kind of a no brainer decision. Oh, they're getting a pool. Oh, they're getting two tennis courts. Um, it's you know, I would say it's a lot more thoughtful, and we're having to be a lot more creative. Um, so you know, our kind of thought process right now and when we are planning and kind of laying out a community and its amenities are how can we give residents everything or almost everything they need to live, work, play, and be happy right here at home without having to jump in the car and, you know, drive five miles to a county park or something like that. So we spend a considerable amount of time understanding the demographics of the submarket and the uh, the community's targeted bro, uh, buyer profile so that we can design plans and amenity components that are tailored specifically to who we think are are going to are going to buy the home. So for communities and markets that have a lot of young families, we're looking at amenity components like splash pads and pocket pocket parks with uh, custom playground equipment and paved walkways to make cruising with a stroller or a little kid on a tricycle a little bit a little bit less uh, a little bit less anxious. Um, and then for our communities that are in markets that have a, a higher retirement population, we're looking at more wellness focused amenities like outdoor fitness areas, walking and biking paths, pickleball courts, um, and inclusion of ongoing social managers um, that can institute programs that encourage that ongoing interconnectivity between the residents of a community. Um, but, you know, in all communities, kind of regardless of the the target profile, we're always looking for ways to get people back outside and get people together. Um, Because that was something I think we all missed, you know, when we were in lockdown, you know, even if we were never crazy about our neighbors, or it was like, oh, I wish I could see someone other than the immediate people that live in my house, right? So, um, so, you know, the inclusion of both indoor and outdoor gathering spaces is something that we're putting a lot of 
um, thought and consideration into. So that could be fire pits, uh, community lawns where, you know, you could do weekly movie nights, uh, multi-use sports fields, uh, clubhouses and community lounges as central gathering places. Um, and then, of course, you know, being outside, people think of movement, getting around. So we are really bumping up emphasis on on walking trails, equestrian trails, bike, all kinds, just any all types of trails. Um, and in a lot of our communities, we will incorporate different types of trails intended for different uses, um, really just to kind of up, up that diversity. Um, and we're obviously incorporating, you know, more pocket parks and we're really trying to preserve as much of that, you know, beautiful community green space as possible during the planning phase. Yeah. I know that we've talked before about one of your communities that had a pool and an amenity center, but, you know, and it it sat since the Great Recession and you all went in to refurbish it and didn't really want to add a second pool, but the first pool wasn't big enough. Talk talk about how you... Uh, you know, change yeah, that exactly. and added a whole new amenity there. Exactly. So uh, this was a um, a fairly large, uh, I think it was about a 450 um, unit community in Hall County uh, near Gainesville. And uh, when our client uh, bought in, it was a uh, partially built, uh, I think about 80 of the 400 homes uh, were put up before the original builder, you know, lost it in the downturn. Right. So our client came in and they purchased the remaining uh, the remaining lots. And and the issue that they kind of came across when they were looking at it is, you know, the community had a small pool, a very small cabana, if you could call it that. Um, and it was, the amenity was perfect size for the 80 houses mm -hmm. that were already there. The issue is that it was going to be extremely undersized at full build out when there were 400 families living in there. Um, so instead of just defaulting, OK, we're going to bring in a crew, we're going to double the size of the pool or we're going to build a second pool somewhere else in the community. Um, we really wanted to kind of look around the community in, in terms of, you know, what hidden value was there. Um, and we came across just an absolute gold mine. So, you know, just a couple hundred feet behind the existing pool and cabana amenity, you know, buried in in the community's green space um, was a beautiful six acre lake, um, you know, very pristine and untouched. So what we ultimately ended up doing, and not only because it was what the resident, you know, we spoke with them and they you know, essentially voted, yes, we would rather have this than a bigger or a second pool. What we ended up doing is we uh, really cleaned up that lake. We did a ton of work in getting it um, cleaned up. We got it swim certified. We had uh, floating docks and custom kayak racks put in. And then we um, we actually constructed a half mile uh, walking trail uh, that was all mulched and, you know, really nice Did a ton of landscaping throughout this area. And we essentially turned this abandoned patch of woods that I guess you people would go in there to dump trash. Um, so we took this like little pocket that was completely ignored and forgotten about by the whole community and we turned it into this like really vibrant interactive place you know and it, that that you know for less than the price of developing you know a second pool or expanding it and the benefit that the residents got was way more right. um so uh, so yeah that was you know a, a you know a, a big win for us um you know especially because it was such a big win for the residents they mm -hmm. love it every time i'm out there checking on the site you know there's a dozen people walking the trails and fishing off the pond so that was a huge success story and we're always looking for opportunities 
like that to, you know, examine what's there in the plan or in the community and seeing how we can, you know, extract value out of that. Mm-hmm. What a fun amenity. You know, a pool is one thing, but a lake is a completely different you know, exactly. it's a different feel. It's a different vibe. Exactly. So it's kind and when of the you're best. done at the lake, you can still, you go, can still go to the pool. pool. Right. Still, exactly. exactly. So you're I not sacrificing that. one for the, for the other. Right. Right. Crafting the perfect marketing strategy is like constructing the perfect pair of jeans. You need all the right components and expertise. Unlike trying on a dressing room full of jeans, denim marketing makes the process painless and easy. Denim marketing is the market leader in creating quality original content for home builders, developers, remodelers, and others in the industry. Call 770-383-3360 or email carol at denimmarketing.com to find out how denim marketing can be a comfortable fit for your social media, public relations, marketing campaigns, email marketing, blogs, and other marketing needs. Well, you recently um, released your second quarter market report. I'd love to know what the big ahas are from that report. And then, you know, where are we headed? You know, we're kind of already into Q3. You know, where are we? Where are we going? Yeah, so there's certainly a lot to um, to unpack there, and I'll go ahead and and you know just state on the record that I'm much less doom and gloom than a lot of the headlines that we're seeing uh, coming out on both the national kind of perspective as well as Atlanta. Um, so you know I try to remember that you know the negative headlines are what get the clicks and what sell the papers. Um, but you know my biggest takeaways after analyzing the data, not just from the second quarter, but you know, being up to my eyeballs in this data since the onset of the pandemic and in the years prior, um, is that, you know, we are in a very unique period right now because we are actually witnessing the market recalibrate in real time. Um, so on the surface, you know, we're seeing this pullback in, um, in you know, this apparent pullback in demand. And, you know, that can be a little bit discouraging. But, you know, the Atlanta market specifically really needs this, really needs this self-correction if we kept going at the rate that we were seeing where, you know, we're seeing a double digit percentage increases in um, rents and home prices, it was actually doing more harm than good to the Atlanta housing market in the long run. You know, at at the rate that we were going, um, you know, only five to 10% of Atlanta residents would even be able to participate in the housing market. Um, And that, of course, would immediately flip the market to stagnant. Um, So, you know, this imbalance right now, where we have a big imbalance between supply and demand, um, and, you know, 60 to 70% of Atlanta households already have been priced out of the Atlanta housing market, just based on median home price and median income. Um, And, you know, but what's important to remember here is that demand for housing in Atlanta is not gone. People, especially millennials, they want to buy homes here. The issue right now is that they just can't afford it right now. And the market is too chaotic and too frenzied. And, you know, as of now, you know, mortgage rates are causing a little bit of anxiety as well. So, you know, Atlanta is not facing a a demand issue. We are are facing a supply issue that has driven prices to a point where demand is being impacted. But it's not that people stopped wanting to buy houses in Atlanta. It's that 
people have stopped being able to afford houses in Atlanta. Um, I would say that, you know, again, another big takeaway that I'm seeing is that high home prices and mortgage rates, um, they're definitely having an impact, right? You know, I think uh, I recently read a statistic where, you know, less than 15% of, you know, potential home buyers felt that right now was a good time to buy in the market. Now, obviously that's very anecdotal, but, you know, that does give you some context as to where the mentality of potential home buyers is right now. Um, so, you know, the pullback in demand that we're seeing from buyers is translating to a slowdown in activity from most home builders in terms of new housing starts. Um, the bad news is that that's not going to do much in the long run to help improve our 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 home supply issues in Atlanta, um, but less demand in the short term from builders could lead to freer, uh, freer flowing uh, supply chains, more skilled labor, um, and it could actually ease the rising costs of, you know, both construction materials and labor. Um, so those are, you know, in terms of the pricing, that's definitely something that we're seeing have a, a big implication. And so you read the headlines and your first thought is like, oh, that's discouraging. but you know, you got to think of how it's going to help the market cor correct and how it's going to bring us back to, to more sustainable levels of growth. Um, so, you know, over the last 12 months, you know, keeping with the pricing, the number of starts uh, of new homes above the three out the three hundred thousand dollar price point has dropped more than sixty percent, um, while the number of starts of new homes above four hundred thousand has shot up by more than forty six percent. So you know that right there illustrates that you know the home prices are just you know really really skyrocketing at a price that's uh, you know really having an impact on kind of the the average you know home buyer here in the Atlanta market. Um, and then, uh, you know, Atlanta continues to sell homes faster than we replace them. Uh, yeah. The big, you know, I, uh, one very startling statistic that I recently analyzed for this second quarter report is uh, since the beginning of this year, 251 communities in Atlanta have sold out, out of lots, out of houses, completely built out. Um, over that same six months period, six month period, we only started 148 new ones. So essentially, there are 103 fewer communities selling homes right now today than there were just six months ago. So again, that just provides some additional context into you know the housing supply and, and why we at St. Burke expect it to remain tight, especially since we are seeing builders slow down their starts a little bit. Um, you know, the ones that survived the the Great Recession, they learned their lesson of you know holding a bunch of specs in inventory. No one wants to be exposed like that. No builders want to be exposed like that. So you know they're responding by starting less new homes. Um, so understandable from their perspective. But again, you know, it does lead us to believe that, you know, home supply, especially new home supply is going to remain tight for the foreseeable future. Um, and then I think the last big takeaway um, is something that we've already briefly touched on is just the growing suburbs and, ex and exurbs of Atlanta. Um, and, um, you know, at the end of last year, six of the or eight of the top 10 communities were, you know, 40 plus miles away. At the end of second quarter, that number had actually dropped to six. Um, but two of the four communities that are within that 30 miles were infill in townhome communities. And as of today, they're both already sold out.
So they're, they're already back off the table. Um, so that's really the main takeaways that, you know, I saw from third quarter, um, you know, mostly having to do with, with pricing and the implications that that's having um, from both a, not a, a buying perspective, as well as a, um, you know, construction and development perspective. Well, it's kind of interesting. Obviously it's a supply and demand story, right? There is yeah. no supply and there's still demand. So yeah. I think that's a great segue to build for rent. Yeah. So, you know, build to rent is a huge trend. You know, what do you see as its impact? You know, is it helping to solve part of the problem or is it the problem? You know, you hear it both ways. So sure, yeah, stand? yeah. You definitely hear a lot of people um who will stand up and say, you know, BTR is is the problem. I'm you're not gonna hear me say that. I don't necessarily believe that's true because at the end of the day, like what the bottom line is, and it doesn't get mentioned enough in terms of BTR is that the country, you know, the whole U.S. is facing a really critical housing shortage. You know, based on what report you read, uh, we are at a four to five million housing unit deficit on a national level. Um, So at the end of the day, the built to rent trend is adding housing units to the housing supply. So at the very baseline, that's Good. And and we need the housing units. Um, and I know that certain counties and certain cities and towns, they would rather them maybe be for sale versus rental. But at the end of the day, Atlanta and the U.S., we don't have enough have enough houses to house the people who live here or want to live here. And built to rent is helping to plug that gap. Uh, which is which is important, um, and it deserves credit for that. And I would say another positive impact of built to rent is that you know these types of projects are offering people and families the opportunity to live in beautiful, brand new houses in these really nice, well designed, vibrant communities. Whereas otherwise, they simply wouldn't be able, might not be able to do so because they can't come up with the 20% down payment or they haven't been able to absorb the 25% increases in home prices over the last 24 years. And, and so it allows, you know, I, you know, I think of like young professionals, young families who otherwise would not be able to live in a house. They would have to rent an apartment. It affords them the opportunity to have a fenced in yard and like play catch with their kids in the front yard and teach their kids to ride the bike, their bike in the driveway. It, it gives families and people who otherwise would be forced to live in an apartment, um, the opportunity to actually live in like a brand new standalone high quality home. And I love that. I think, I think more people deserve that, that opportunity. And, and, um, so I, I would say that's a huge positive impact. Um, and, you know, the, the the rise of built rent is certainly driving demand for, for lots, right, um, which is creating competition um, amongst traditional for sale home builders and it's driving lot and land prices up. And, um, you know, there's a ton of capital flowing into built to rent these days. So we've we have found, you know, St. Burke and our experience that these built to built to rent firms are typically willing or able to pay a little bit more for land and they're willing to eat a little bit higher development costs. Um, and they're generally willing to invest more into upgraded community infrastructure and features like amenities because they're going to be continuously trying to attract new residents. It's not like a standard for sale home builder where they got to sell every house once and that's it and they're done. 
these types of communities are essentially having to sell every house every year just to get people to renew their leases or you know, bring in, bring in new, attract new residents. So, you know, built to rent in my mind is more competing against those, you know, class A, class B multifamily apartment projects, you know, and, and, and less competing with for sale communities. That's how, that's how I kind of see everything playing out. Um, and of course the rise of built to rent is bringing out a lot of, uh, a lot of nimbyism, right? Not right. in the backyard, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially in the exurbs, in the more suburban and rural communities that aren't used to seeing a lot of mm-hmm. high quality rental product. So, you know, a lot of what we've been trying to do over the last 12 to 18 months is just help re-educate about mm-hmm. built to rent and who is, you know, what type of residents and renters are being attracted to these right. types of built to rent communities. Um, and, and, and just, you know, I think they just have gotten a uh, built to rent has gotten kind of a sticky reputation um, and mostly because people don't understand. They don't understand it. No, don't. I agree. Yeah. With you. They don't understand it. And it's the whole not in my backyard, just exactly. like you said. And, you know, built for rent, I think, fulfills a niche of people who you, know, you look at the millennials. And it's just like you said, they can't afford to buy mm-hmm. in the area they want to live in, but they might be able to afford to rent. So, you know, it's fulfilling a need and it's just interesting to me yeah. to see all these cities and counties try to pass zoning against it because it's really discriminatory zoning and it I, really goes against the fair Yeah, it goes yeah. against fair housing policy. I mean, how can you say it's okay to build a single family home here for sale, but it's not okay for you to build it to rent? I just I don't know. Yeah. I don't get it. It's going to become an interesting legal battle, I think. Sure will. There's an awful lot of people who think, you know, no, rentals are so bad. And, you know, it's a stigma against rentals from, you know, from rentals that aren't taken care of. But, yeah. Well, you touched on today's market's a little different. Today's person who's renting these single family build to rent homes is a little different. What does that renter look like today? Yeah. So there are, and that's probably the biggest focus of our re-education efforts, right? Is, um, is, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions right now about who is renting homes in these new built to rent communities and the type of demographic that these communities are targeting. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from just a very outdated and archaic mentality. You know, I think 20 to 30 years ago, most people who were renters were renters out of necessity, right? So to put it really simply, I think a lot of renters 20 to 30 years ago rented because they couldn't afford to buy a home. So they rented. Um, So renters got this, you know, really unfortunate and unfair stereotype as maybe not being as financially well off or stable as their home buying counterparts, right? But that is just not the case at all anymore, um, especially in terms of these built to rent communities. Um, so what we're seeing is, you know, while there are definitely renters who are renting because they cannot afford to buy a home, in most cases, it's, you know, they can make the monthly payment, but they don't have 20% down to put down. Um, but, you know, we're seeing more and more 
renters in these built-to-rent communities that are renters by choice, right? They could go buy a house in the for sale subdivision next door. They're choosing not to. So a lot of, you know, some of the examples that we're seeing from this is, you know, young professionals, right, who are early days in their career, and they don't want to get tied to a specific city because they have no idea where their careers are going to take them. Or they know, well, I don't want to buy a house because I have a feeling that, I'm going to get promoted to the corporate office next year, or I'm I'm going to look for, I think I'm going to look for a new job. I think I want to transition out and I don't want to lock myself into a 15 or 30 year commitment on this house when I don't even know if I'm going to live here in 12 months. So we're seeing a lot of that from the young professionals. We're also seeing a lot of young professionals who make a very healthy annual wage, but they're dealing with like student loan and other debt where they can make that monthly payment, no problem, but they don't have the 40000 or 50000 to put down. Um, so that's, you know, again, that's where the built to rent comes in. You know, they can afford to pay those rent premiums. They just don't have a bunch of money sitting in the bank that is required to buy a house. Um, we're also seeing a lot of demand from, again, young families who could financially go buy a house, but they want to be able to upsize their home as their family grows. And so, you know, hey, I've got zero kids right now. I don't want to go buy a five-bedroom house right now. I don't need five bedrooms right now, but I might in five years. Um, so we're seeing that from families. And then we're also seeing on the opposite end of the spectrum, mature families and couples. And they've cashed out the equity on their homes because it appreciated in value 40% over the last two years. Um, and now they just want to move close to their children and grandchildren. And they don't want to be locked into another, you know, 30 year commitment. Um, so we're seeing that demand from the, you know, the baby boomer, pot, the generation. Um, and it's Gen and, X too. Hate to tell you that. I'm one of those. I have all these yes. friends that have sold their houses, made all this money. And it's, you know, they're just not interested in the upkeep anymore. That's exactly they don't want to have to paint the house. They yep. don't want to mow the grass. They don't want to. So in a lot of these build to rent communities, it's, you know, it's a lock and leave lifestyle. They can, they can live in a single family home and still have the dog and still have all the space and, you know, not share a wall with a neighbor, but they don't have any of the responsibility that comes exactly. along with ownership. So for to them, again, you talk about the, there's a little bit of a premium there for renting, mm -hmm. but for the, to them, it's worth it because they don't have to get the water heater goes out. Not Absolutely. my problem. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, you, you've actually absolutely hit the nail on the head, right? It's any, you know, built to rent communities are great because they do offer that low maintenance mm -hmm. lifestyle. Anything goes, you got a leaky roof, not your problem. AC goes out, not no. your problem. So not only is not is it not yours to your problem to deal with, it's not your problem to pay for, right? So right. that that you know can be a huge burden off the shoulders, especially of those more mature families who are maybe mm -hmm. on fixed income, right? They've got right. a tighter budget. Um, so not having to, you know, pencil in mm -hmm. um, you know, basically contingency funds every month or every right. year to replace a roof or a water heater or, you know, that, that's a that, great 
great for a fixed income. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of people are more than happy to pay an extra two, two fifty a month to never have never to have do to deal with that. Stuff. Well, you think about it, they've been there, they've done that. They had their house for 20 years or 30 exactly. years or whatever it was, and they know what can go wrong. And they also know that in new construction, they're not gonna have a lot of those problems. Everything's so, got a warranty. So exactly. you know, yeah, it's all under warranty. If it breaks, it's not their problem. And chances are it's not gonna break because it's brand new. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think my last, you know, big, um, my, my last big takeaway in terms of, you know, the renter profile of these built to rent communities is that, you know, it's important to consider that, you know, the asking rents in these built to rent communities are typically a little bit higher than nearby and comparable traditional multifamily apartment projects, right? Um, and that monthly rent payments are, you know, by a couple hundred bucks, you know, they they have that premium. So it, again, that just reinforces that, you know, built to rent communities are not targeting, you know, low, lower income earners, like a lot of these, these neighbors and these municipalities, you know, they think it's just going to attract um, you know, a certain, you know, demographic or, you know, income profile. Um, and they just, they just got it wrong. Like those days are over. These built to rent communities are, are, you know, a lot of times the, the rents that they're asking each month are higher than, you know, someone could go down the road and get, buy a house and get their mortgage payment for. So again, that brings it all back to, you know, these are our, our affluent individuals and families and, you know, a majority of them are making the conscious decision. I do not, I can buy, I don't want to right now. I want to wait till the market cools off for a little bit, or I need to save $10,000 more for a down payment, you know, things like that. So that's, that's really kind of, you know, my biggest takeaways from built to rent and where I think a lot of people um, have gotten it, have gotten it wrong. It's a lifestyle choice. Exactly. It's a lifestyle choice in many, many cases, you know, yeah. whether it's, that you're, you know, on the early cycle of you're going to buy at some point or you've owned and, you know, you don't want to do that anymore or you just want to live in the area of town you want to live in. Exactly. So it's it's about lifestyle. So hopefully, hopefully they'll figure it out. And, you know, if you can continue to get out there and spread the word and, you know, people will listen. So anything else we haven't touched on today that you want to add before we sign off? No, I, I think that's it. Um, if, if anyone out there is interested in reviewing our second quarter market report that is available on our website, which is uh, just stburke.com, S-T-B-O-U-R-K-E.com. Uh, we have an entire library of all of our past market reports um, with our custom com commentary. And again, you know, all of our analysis and and commentary comes from the lens of, um, you know, property investment and development. So um, it's a little, it has a little bit more context versus those more generic, you know, market reports that get mm -hmm. get put out on on a national level. So uh, we take we spend a lot of time producing those. A ton of analysis and research goes into them. So um, you know, we're really proud to offer those every quarter. And um, again, you know, you can get those from our website, stburke.com. Um, or you can reach out to us directly at our office. Our number is 678-853-2530. Um, and we're also on LinkedIn and Instagram where we provide content as well. Um, and you could just search for St. Burke, S-T-B-O-U-R-K-E on either of those platforms. Excellent. So if you guys are looking for a developer, give them a shout. If you're looking for market information, give them a shout. If you just kind of want to follow along with the trends in the market, great place to start. 
So with that, I'm going to say it's a wrap of this week's Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio's All About Real Estate Edition. I want to thank Katie Fiddler with St. Burke for joining me in studio today. So thanks, Katie. Thanks for your insight. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Had a good time. Absolutely. On behalf of our show sponsor, Denim Marketing, I'm your host, Carol Morgan. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, there's lots of opportunities to follow and interact with Atlanta Real Estate Forum. You can follow us on Facebook at Atlanta Real Estate Forum for more Metro Atlanta news. Sign up for the newsletter at atlantarealestateforum.com. And continue the conversation by downloading and subscribing for free on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. Lots of our episodes are also on YouTube, so go to YouTube and click on that little notification bell at the top so that you never miss an episode. If you want to be on the show or you want to sponsor the show, reach out to me, Carol, at denimmarketing.com. Again, thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing everybody right here again for our next episode. Today's episode was made possible by Denim Marketing the publisher of Atlanta Real Estate Forum, Atlanta's favorite real estate blog, and source for real estate news, trends, new home communities, model homes, builders, and more. Denim Marketing is a comfortable fit, like your favorite pair of jeans. Denim Marketing tailors marketing strategies to meet your specific needs and niche. Try them on for size. They will work to create a perfect fit for your company's marketing program. Call them at 770-383-3360 or send an email to info at denimmarketing.com. For more information on Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio or to inquire about being a guest, contact info at atlantarealestateforum.com. Check out the radio show by visiting atlantarealestateforum.com or by listening to the show on your podcast or iTunes app. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, we'd sure appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio Show.